probably come into your mind. And that is this, what is Christmas all about anyway? What's Christmas all about? Why, why do we celebrate this thing? What is, it, what is it about it that causes us to celebrate? We all, we all know the song, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. People often express that in one way or another, that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. So what is it about Christmas, though, that makes it the most wonderful time of the year? Is Christmas about that creepy guy in the red suit who stalks us? You know, he watches us while we're sleeping and while we're awake. That just sounds a bit creepy to me. Maybe Christmas is about the presents and the decorations. Maybe it's about the parties and the gatherings. So what is Christmas about anyway? What is it that makes us want to celebrate it? Many people in the Western world would at least in some capacity some piece, point to a barn and a baby. Somehow in the back of our minds, we have this concept that, that maybe Christmas has something to do with the baby Jesus. Many people would, would somehow think that you know, maybe what we need to do is add the, the, the idea of Jesus in amongst the decorations of Christmas. Kind of like you know, putting the elf on the shelf. That's just what you do. We need to throw this baby in a barn into this whole decoration thing. Then that's good enough, isn't it? We think that's what Christmas is about. Most people would, in some capacity anyway, think that Christmas is about celebrating Jesus' birthday. So it's Christmas about anyway. In the Western world, most of the developed nations uh, that are part of the Western world we, we have accrued a, a around ourselves, gathered around ourselves, a whole host of traditions that are part of Christmas. And if you break it down even farther, each culture has its own traditions. Then break it even farther than that, each family has its own traditions. I bet you all have a bunch of different traditions that you use as part of the Christmas celebration. Traditions that to you are very important. Everybody has their own. Really though, the reality is, while most people think that Christmas has been a Christian holiday since around 1 A.D., the reality is, most of what we understand regarding Christmas is actually only at best a few hundred years old. Most of it much less than that. Most of what we hold to as the foundations of the Christmas season are really brand new on the world stage. The reality, again, is for well over a thousand years, Christmas was anything but a Christian holiday. See, the origins of Christmas actually date back to long before the birth of Christ. Many of the celebrations and even components that we have in our Christmas celebrations today date back to long before Jesus was born. Midwinter festivals, well, they've been celebrated in Babylonia, Egypt. Again, we're talking thousands of years before Jesus was born. There have been midwinter festivals that have been part of things. In Rome, the Romans celebrated a holiday, the midwinter festival, called Saturnalius. And it was the return of the sun. That's what it was about. It was celebrated from December 17th to December 24th. And during this celebration, and you'll recognize this, it was common 
for the people of uh, Rome to exchange gifts, to decorate their homes and their community places as a normal part of this. Unfortunately, all people who were uh, a part of uh, took part in these celebrations, they celebrated with wild abandon in ways that, well, they weren't very God-honoring. In the first days of Christianity, even Christians participated in these very hedonistic celebrations. People who were professing Christians took part in these activities that were anything but Christian. Around 4th century A.D., Christianity had become the official religion of the Roman Empire. But at that time, Easter was the single most celebrated holiday among Christianity. Jesus' birth wasn't so much. 320 A.D., Pope Julius I, he got tired of seeing Jesus' birth being celebrated at various times across the calendar. So for no particular reason, he decided that December 25th was when the church would then celebrate the birth of Christ. Well, we have to remember though that there, there is not a date given in the Bible for when Jesus was born. It doesn't say in the Gospel messages that Jesus was born on December 25th. As a matter of fact, the evidence from the Gospel stories that talk about Jesus' birth actually paint a picture of either spring or summer, not midwinter. The, the shepherds, they weren't in the fields in winter. They were in the fields in the spring and in the summer and, and then a little bit into the fall. The census that Rome uh, conducted, most of their census were conducted either in the spring or early summer. So likely Jesus was not born in winter. It was likely either spring or summer. So the Pope's choosing of December really had nothing to do with even they understood when Jesus really was born. However, even though the Pope gave that um, decree that Christmas was to be celebrated, the birth of Christ was to be celebrated on December 25th, it really didn't affect Christians in the, 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 the church at all. They continued to celebrate, Christians in Rome, the Roman Empire, they continued to celebrate Saturnalius. Christians did. In very pagan ways. Very ungodly ways. Well, about five years later, 325 A.D., uh, the Emperor Constantine, after he came to Christ, he decided then that he would make it official, not just from the church, from the Pope, but now also from the Roman Empire. December 25th was going to be the day that Christmas, the birth of Christ, would be celebrated. Incidentally, at the same time, he also decreed that Sunday was to be a holy day in the seven-day week. Prior to that, that really wasn't the case. See, a lot of what we believe is standards since around 1 A.D. really really aren't standards. They've been around for a while, but not since the beginning. Constantine's decree, though, it also had little effect on Christians. It did little to benefit the church. It didn't help the leaders who were trying to help believers not participate in those very ungodly activities. It really didn't help them to get past that. The, the Christians continued to partake in celebrations such as Saturnalia and another one that had come along which is even worse than that. He, he'd 
uh, the Christians, what they would do is they would participate in those activities, and then when it was all over, they would go back to church and confess their sins. And then do it again the next year. It really didn't change. They continued to do things as they were. Matter of fact, Christmas celebrations, by the mid-1600s, Christmas celebrations became so bad that they were in part part of the reason for an uh, overthrow of an uh, English monarchy at that time. Oliver Cromwell, he rose from near obscurity, and he, was, he led a revolt against the English monarchs in order to overthrow that monarchy to reestablish among one of the things that he had was to try to give some dignity into Christmas. So what he did was he actually made it illegal to celebrate Christmas. It was to be a dignified time instead. Well, Oliver, he passed away and his son took the throne. Well, the people, including the Christians in the churches, they didn't like what he did. They wanted things back to those drunken festivals that they had. They wanted Christmas back to what it was. So, they led another revolt, installing instead, overthrowing Oliver's uh, son, and installing instead the son of the previous king, who then got rid of those decrees and brought Christmas back for what it was. The, the debauchery and the pagan festivities. People wanted back what was. <laughs> but Christmas was not a joyous time. It wasn't. Over the next hundred or plus years, women and children actually hid in their homes in inner rooms on Christmas for their own safety. Because Christmas was that dangerous. It was that ungodly. There were groups who would rove the streets. They were known as murmurers. Or, you're going to love this, carolers. They would go from home to home singing songs in front of the song. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? One of the songs that they sang was, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. It's a great Christmas song, isn't it? We Wish You a Merry Christmas. That song actually was a threat. That line in the song where it says, you know, bring us some figgy pudding, bring it out here, we won't go until we get some, that was the threat. Because what they would do is they would go to wealthy homes demanding some of the choice stuff that the wealthy people had. If the wealthy people did not bring them that figgy pudding, then that riotous group, those carolers, they would force their way into the home and take whatever they wanted. Pretty happy time of year, wasn't it? Gives new meaning to that song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Think about that the next time you sing it or hear it sung. See, Christmas... Ever since that point, somewhere in the beginning when Christmas became such an official thing, Christians have struggled. They have struggled to figure out what to do with Christmas. See, it really wasn't until uh, the Germans began turning to Christ before Christmas began to change for the good. The Germans really are the ones we can thank for much of what Christmas is today. As the Germans began coming to Christ, they began converting some of their pagan um, uh, traditions, they began converting them over to point to Christ. We're going to talk about some of those over the, uh, the rest of this year. But they were really the ones to thank for some of that transition. And really, 
for most of the developed Western world, it wasn't until around 1823 when the story The Night Before Christmas was published. Before Christmas began to take on that more joyous tone. That story brought Christmas to children as a celebration now. And many parents began to follow. America was very late in coming around to accept Christmas. Really, Christmas in America as a happy thing, it really wasn't until a little over 100 years ago. Christmas wasn't really a component of much of Christianity. But we have to remember with that story the night before Christmas, it wasn't that Santa made Christmas Christian. Santa only brought about a more joyous tone to Christmas. He made it happier and safer. As I was saying, you know, ever since the beginning, Christians have struggled what to do with Christmas. They struggled to figure out what to do with Christmas and Christ. How, how to bring those two things together. Now, as the saying goes, you, I'm sure you've heard it, you may have even said it yourself, we need to put Christ back in Christmas. But as we just talked about, Christ was not in Christmas to begin with. He was added there. He was added in. The question really for us is, is not so much about that. Jesus wasn't in Christmas to begin with. Instead, what we need to do is what the Germans did. We need instead to choose to make our traditions point to Christ. We need to make Christmas about Christ. Doing Christmas as a celebration of Jesus' birth is one of the greatest things that we could do. We can, by celebrating Jesus' birth, it really is one of the greatest things to celebrate. The Gospel message, you see, is the greatest message that has ever been told. In terms of the gifts that we could give people, I guarantee there is nothing greater we could give than the gift of the Gospel message. Nothing compares to that. And as we, in our families, in our homes, in our communities, here in church as well, as we begin ramping up for this holiday season, consider the gifts that you'll give this year. Consider that. And I encourage you to give this, the Gospel message. That Jesus really is the greatest gift that you could give to anybody. You know, John wrote, there's a passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. It's not a passage that is often associated with Christmas, but I want us to look at that today because this kind of sets the tone for what we're going to talk about from here to the end of the year and what we're talking about today. John wrote these words. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This passage adequately describes what Christmas is about, at least the Christian version of it. What it is that we can make Christmas about. This passage paints for us the picture of the Gospel message. And from these words, we can learn how to tell other people how to be saved. 
one of the biggest things that most Christians say is that they don't know how to lead somebody to Christ. Well, my goal is that today, by the end of today, you will have learned how to lead somebody to Christ. So I encourage you, get your pen out, get your pencil out. You can take notes on the back of the bulletin. Take notes on how to share Christ. How to tell others how to be saved. This is the best gift that you could give to anybody this Christmas season. As I said, it's not about putting Christ back in Christmas. Rather, it's about making Christmas about Christ. Let's unpack these verses here to learn how to lead other people to salvation. Begin with John's first words here. He starts by saying, for God. That's where I want to stop. For God. You see, it all starts with God. Not with us. It starts with God. God is the creator and the sustainer of all that is. There is nothing that is that was not created by God. Life itself is even sustained by God. Speaking of the, the coming of Jesus, John wrote at the beginning of the Gospel of John, in John 1, verses 3, through, or, yeah, verses three and 4, he talk, talking about who Jesus is, he had this to say. He says, through Him, that's through Jesus, all things were made. Without Him was... Nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. You see, God created all things through Christ. Everything that is was made by Him. And as we talk about salvation, as we talk about salvation, as the John 3 passage pointed out, we have to remember, we have to start with God. We can't start anyplace else. But to begin, we have to understand this reality. This is the reality. That we are not good enough to save ourselves. None of us are. None of us are good enough to save ourselves. Paul would later point out a reality that all humans are facing. And that is that we are all sinners in need of grace to be saved. Romans 3.23 Paul wrote that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Every single human being has sinned and failed to meet God's expectations. God's requirements. Every single human being. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. Paul wrote there that we are saved by grace through faith. And that's not of ourselves. Not by being good enough. This means then that none of us, no human being, can save themselves apart from Christ. You know what? That should come as a tremendous relief for us. It should. Because if I am saved by how good I am, by my good works, that means that there will always be rolling around in my head the question, am I good enough? Did I do enough good? Or even, if I mess up today, if I sin today, did I lose my salvation tomorrow? You see, we're not saved by how good we are. We're saved by how good God is. We're saved because of God. Not us. Salvation isn't based in us and in our efforts. It's based in God and His. If someone is unwilling or unable to accept this reality, if they are unable or unwilling to admit that they themselves are sinners in need of a Savior, then they are unable to receive salvation. Because we have to understand who we are and who God is. If I can't see that I am a sinner, 
I cannot receive salvation. And it's crucial that we understand this reality. That salvation isn't based in us and our efforts, but rather it is based in God and His. To understand the gift that we're going to give to others, we must understand here this. We must start here. So those people that you're going to talk to about Christ this Christmas season, make sure they hear this reality. Let them know that salvation starts with God. Salvation starts with God. John went on. He says, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. You know, people oftentimes get an incorrect perspective of God. They view Him as maybe an angry judge just looking for an opportunity to punish us for our sins. Like if they get one toe out of line, God's going to rain down on them fire and brimstone for their sins. As if that's what God lives for, just to punish. Others see God as so far off from their sinful state that there's no way they can get from where they are to Him. As if they have to clean their life up first before they can approach God. But that's not God. That's not who God is. And John tells us that right here. For God so loved. You see, that's God's nature. It is God's nature to love. John could have started with the wrath portion that he talks about later on in those verses that I read earlier. But he didn't. He started with God's love. John thought so highly of God's love, that attribute of God, that God's that attribute of God, that God is love, that he would later write about it in the letter of 1 John, that God is love. But God so loved the world. The world. You know, that's us he's talking about. You and me. That's us. That's, that's you, that's me, that's your neighbor, that's your co-worker, that's your second cousin twice removed. That's a person you can't stand and the person you like. That's those crazy Walmart people and the supposed normal ones. It's those people whose life is so messed up they couldn't get themselves out of a wet paper bag, as well as those who appear to have their life all together. It's everybody. God so loved the world. Everybody. You and me. Everybody around us. Even the worst people of society God's love reaches to. There is no one who is so far from God that they cannot choose to return or turn to Him. There is nobody that far away. No one so far gone that His love can't reach to even them. God loves us. And God loves them. So make sure as you're considering who you're going to talk to about Christ this, this Christmas season, who you're going to share the Gospel message with, make sure you let them know this reality. Let them know that God really does love them. No matter what their life looks like. God loves them. And wants them to be saved. He loves so much. John says that He gave His one and only Son. God is a giving God. Just like it is His nature to love, it is God's nature to give. We see this from the first pages of the Bible to the last. God is a giving God. He loves to give. It's in His nature. 
He created our universe and He gave it to us. He has even given us life itself. For the creation of the world, God had already planned to give Jesus. You see, the manger and the cross, they aren't an afterthought for God. It wasn't that God said, man, now what am I going to do? They chose sin. They chose to reject me. What am I going to do? No, God had already planned from before the creation of the world. He knew us. He knew that we would choose to reject Him. And so He established before the creation of the world, He predetermined that all who would choose to believe in Him could be saved. All who would choose to come to Him through Christ could be saved. God in His love created us with freedom to choose. Freedom to choose to love Him. Freedom to choose to reject Him. See, it isn't that God sat up before the creation of the world and looked down through humanity and said, save, not save, save, not save, save, arbitrarily. He predetermined that all who would believe in Jesus would be saved. And He gave us the choice. See, God didn't want puppets. He wanted people to freely choose Him. He wanted independent beings who would love Him in return. Because He already loves us. He gives humanity a choice to accept His love for them and to love Him in return. So knowing our choice to sin, knowing that's what we would move toward, to reject Him, He chose to give us a way to Him anyway. Now the manger and the cross, they're not afterthoughts for God. They were His plan from the beginning. Jesus was His plan. The significance of that gift was seen in the nature of the gift that He gave. We have to understand this reality that I'm about to tell you right now. Don't miss this, okay? Jesus is the only way to heaven. Luke would later write in um, Acts 4.12, he said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is only one way to heaven. Other religions cannot save anybody. All roads do not lead to heaven. There is only one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus. There are not alternatives. Salvation is found only in and through Jesus. Period. Part of that, we have to as well understand that Jesus is God. John stated in John 1.1, that Jesus was in the beginning with God and that He is God. The man Jesus is not separate from God. He and the Father are one. They are of the same essence. God the Son took on flesh and lived among us. John 1.14 Jesus is God, you see. He is not a God. He didn't become God. And God did not choose place Himself or rest Himself upon the man Jesus at some point in Jesus' life. No, Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. Jesus is God. And we have to understand that reality. Jesus is fully God and fully human. John 1.14 again. Why is that important? Why is that important? Well, this is why. Jesus is the only one who could live that perfect life that you and I couldn't. That you and I didn't. Jesus is the only one who could live the life that God created us to live. God had established 
that the penalty for sin is death. The penalty for going against God is death. Jesus, well, He was sinless. Though He was tempted, He never sinned. The Bible makes it clear for us to understand. Jesus was sinless. That means, that means when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't have His own penalty to pay. He had no penalty to pay. Penalty for sin against an infinite God is infinite punishment. So, the infinite Jesus paid the infinite price. So you and I, so all humanity could choose if we wanted to accept that gift and have their infinite penalty paid for. So in God's giving nature, we once again see God's love. So, as you're thinking about those people that you're going to tell about the Gospel message this Christmas season, let them know this reality. Let them know this. That God is the ultimate giver. God is the ultimate giver. He's given what is necessary. John continues. He said that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, John wanted to make sure we understood something here. There's a significant teaching that we need to pay attention to. We are not saved, as I was talking about earlier, by cleaning up our life, but through belief in Christ. We are saved by belief in Christ. Greek word translated as belief, it means to believe something is true. It carries the idea of acting on that belief as well. It isn't just accepting an idea into our mind, but it is something that is lived out as a result. Belief is both of those rolled up together in one. We believe what we need to believe, and that belief shapes our life. In other words, our life will be forever changed because of that belief. Because of our belief in Christ or our faith, we believe differently, we feel differently, we act differently. Everything about our life shifts from living our life for us to living our life for God. Everything in life shifts so that my life is about continuing on what Jesus came to earth for. I will live my life for what Jesus' life was about. That change is often referred to as something called repentance. It's when we make a choice not to live for ourselves, but instead to live for God. It means a change of allegiance or a change of direction. Going this way and now going that way. Not just a little bit of a course correction, but it's a 180. It's a complete shift in our life. Because of our understanding of God's love for us and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, because of our commitment to Him, we choose to live for God with everything that we are and everything we have. And I would even add in here that this is a requirement component of what faith or belief is. That if there is not life change, then it is not biblical faith. It is not biblical belief. Without life change, we don't really believe. We just agree to the right stuff. But if it doesn't change us, it's not biblical faith. Change, you see, is necessary. It's required. That change may be instantaneous. I can think of my own time when I came to Christ that there were things in my life that changed just like that. Things that suddenly just disappeared. There's other parts of my life that it's an ongoing process. 
slowly overcoming things to become more like Christ. But change is there nonetheless. Change must be there, or it's not biblical fully. Remember, this is vitally important here. Don't miss what I'm about to say. This is not about being good enough to be saved. This is a, about a belief that shapes us. Not being good to be saved, but rather being obedient to God because we are saved. In response to God. Those people that you're going to talk to about Christ this Christmas, those people that are already beginning to form in your mind of who you're going to share the message of Jesus with, let them know this too. That salvation is found in a belief that will change them. Not just the right set of stuff to think about. And now, all who believe, as John goes on, will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the part that all people want. Heaven. Everybody wants the heaven part. The change part, mm, can I get there without that? We want the good stuff without the other hard stuff. But all who believe in Jesus, they won't be separated from God. They will get heaven. And this is God's promise. Not just a hope. Not like that hope that we had when we were kids that, man, I really hope I get that gift I wanted for Christmas. But this is a, a guarantee. It is more of a guarantee than death and taxes. If you are a Christ follower, this is a reality ahead for you. Not a possibility. You have faith in Him. You are saved. Jesus demonstrated for us that this hope is not in vain. That this hope actually has purpose. Jesus, you see, He came back to life. He was resurrected. God, you see, is the author of life. And only the author of life can give life back after death. Jesus came back to life. Showing us that our resurrection is what we have ahead of us. We have life. We have that guarantee through faith. So, those people that you're going to talk to about Christ this Christmas, let them know this too. Let them know this reality. As Romans 10.19 says, that Paul there, he promises that, that if we believe in Jesus, we will be saved. Let those people know that salvation is a guarantee through faith. Salvation is a guarantee through faith. John continued, God didn't send His Son to condemn the world, but to save it. You see here that the belief that God is a condemning God that I talked about earlier, right here it shows us that belief is way off. It's missed the mark. It's not even close to who God is. Yes, God punishes sin. And those who reject Him can experience, or will experience His wrath. But we must understand how this whole thing works. Or we'll miss out. We'll have a misunderstanding. It works like this. If we believe in Jesus, we are choosing to accept God's love. If we choose not to believe in Jesus, then we are rejecting God's love. And if we reject God's love, you know what's left for us? There's only one thing that's left for us. God's wrath. You see where that is? We choose that. We choose God's love or we choose God's wrath. Not that God is this vengeful God just waiting to pour out His wrath. He's saying, here's my love. Take it. I'm giving it to you free of charge. We say yes. But we say, no, I don't want your love. I want your wrath. That's rough, isn't it? That's the way it is. We choose that. We do. 
Yes, God does condemn. But that's a result of our rejection of His love. Furthermore, there's another false belief that, that believes that the Father and the Son are at odds with each other. As if Jesus is in heaven pleading with the Father, Father, just please forgive them. That's not even close to correct either. That's not how it works. That's not how God established things. That's not even who God is. Notice John's words here. God is the one who sent Jesus. Jesus didn't come to earth to be able to plead with the Father. Understand this reality as well. That this was also Jesus' choice. Later, Jesus would teach that He and the Father are one. That they're united. They're not at odds with each other. So, from a human perspective, human understanding, you could almost view it this way. That Jesus and the Father, the Son and, the, and, and God the Father, that before the creation of the world, they decided that Jesus would do this. It's, it's, it's a, a lesser understanding of the reality, but that's a, that's a good way of understanding it nonetheless. So now, all who choose to believe in Jesus are what's called being, you are reconciled to God. You're reconciled to God. That means that the enmity that was there because before Christ you were choosing to reject His love, now the enmity is replaced with friendship. We, are now, we can now call God our friend. We enter into a different relationship with Him. Our relationship with Him is restored to what it was originally designed to be from the beginning. God now accepts as His own those who come to Him through Jesus. Through Jesus. We are adopted into His family. And that, not by being good enough. Because what Jesus did for us on the cross. Those people you're going to talk to about Jesus this Christmas season, let them know this reality as well. Let them know that Jesus came to save us all. All of us. Not just a few people. He came to save all of us. Everyone who would choose to accept God's love can be saved. Let's make a choice this Christmas. Let's choose something. Let's choose to make Christmas about Christ. Let's choose to make Christmas about Christ. Let me ask you a question. I want you to take a moment to consider it. Who are some people in your life who don't yet know Jesus? We all have people in our life. Maybe it's that, that uh, person you run into all the time at the store, maybe the cashier, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's a family member or co-worker. Who in your life does not yet know Jesus? Who in your life is not living a life that evidences they are following Christ? I want to take just a moment. Why don't you think about that? With their name in your mind, their face in your mind, think about that for a moment. Who in your life doesn't know Jesus yet? Who isn't saved? Next, I want to ask you another question. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? See, those people in your life that aren't yet Christ followers, I may play a part in them coming to Christ, but... You're the one God placed in their life. What are you going to do about it? To lead them to Christ. We all have that responsibility. 
I suggest two things. I suggest two things to give them the best gift that you could ever give them this Christmas. First of all, teach them what you just learned today. Teach that to them. So for those of you who didn't take notes during the sermon, grab your pen out now. There's space on the back of the bulletin. I'm going to talk about this stuff again. I'm going to give it to you one more time. Just because it's that important. I want you to understand how to help people to be saved. So get your pen out. Get ready to talk, or write it down when I talk about it in a moment. But talk with those people about these truths. Those people in your life who don't yet know Jesus. You will be helping them to be saved. Second thing. Second thing I want you to do this Christmas season. With those people that are in your life that don't yet know Christ. Invite them to join you here over this Christmas season. Maybe even next Sunday. I know, I know. I've invited them already. They said no. Okay, invite them again. And then when they say no, invite them again. And when they say no, invite them again. And when they tell you, stop inviting me, say, I'll stop inviting you when you join me. Why not? Invite them. And then I want you to do something even more. I don't want you just to invite them to come to church. I want you to invite them, and then when they come, I want you to think about, who is the most famous person that you wish it with all your might that you could meet? How would you treat them if they were suddenly to show up at your house? You, you knew they were going to be coming. What would you do to prepare the way for them to come to be with you, to maybe do lunch with you? Treat that person that you invited to church. Treat them that way. Give up your favorite seat to sit with them. To, to invite them to all your friends. And then, maybe even go so far as to invite them out to lunch with you. It's okay if you go Dutch. But invite them out to lunch with you. Treat them like a special guest that they are. Think about who it is that you're going to be inviting and talk with them about Christ. And then invite them to join you. There's nothing more important than people being saved. I want to encourage you. One more thing this morning. Even if the opportunity does not come up this week to talk with them about what you learned today, don't give up. Because you see, what often happens is when you invite somebody to be your guest at church, to be your special guest at church, they end up having questions. You never know the opportunities that may arise as a result of them being your guest. Look for those opportunities. Look for the opportunities to still invite them. Never know the doors that may be open for conversation later on because of that. Because they were your guests at church. One more thing before I, I give you that information once more. If you're here this morning and you're realizing in your mind, you know what, I've never accepted Christ. My, my faith is not where it's supposed to be. I want to encourage you to find me. Because I want to help you to make, take the next steps in following Christ, which include baptism. There's other components of that, but I want to help you in this. Don't just try to do this alone, because that's not how God created us. He didn't create us to be Lone Ranger Christians. Find me. I want to help you in taking these next steps. So here we go. Hope you're ready to write down the notes. What I talked about earlier today, this is what you're going to tell people this Christmas season. You ready? Well, whether you are or not, I'm going to go forward anyway. Salvation starts with God. 
not us. Salvation starts with God. God really does love them. No matter what their life looks like, God loves them. God is the ultimate giver. And salvation is His gift to all who want it. Whoever wants it can have it. Salvation is found in a belief that will change their life. Not just something to think about. Furthermore, salvation is a guarantee for all who believe. Not just a possibility. It's a guarantee. Most importantly, let them know this. That Jesus came to save even them. Even them. Who are you going to, are you going to tell this Christmas season? Who is it that you're going to give the best gift you could ever give? Who are you going to invite to be your guest? Your guest. Your special guest next week. So from here to the end of the year, we're going to look at various traditions of Christmas. Some of them might surprise you. Some of them you may already know about. I'm sure you've got a bunch more traditions in your own family. From here to the end of the year, we're going to be looking at a few different Christmas traditions to find out how it is that we can make Christmas about Christ. To take each of these traditions these ideas, and give them purpose. Give them meaning. And how it is that we can make each one of these and many more, make them point to Christ. Each of those traditions and whatever ones you may have in your family, it's possible. It is possible that they can help us make Christmas about Christ.